welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, recorded at the PW offices in New York City. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I am also Co-Editor of PW Comics World as well as Graphic Novels Review Editor of Publishers Weekly and the Editor-in-Chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. And check us out on Twitter at, at PW Comics World. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer and you can find us on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And don't forget you can subscribe to More to Come on iTunes and on Facebook you can find us at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. Um, th- before we get to the lineup this week on uh, More to Come, we want to issue a, a, a friendly shout out to Dan from Finland, who who left us, uh, who sent us a very great fan mail. Yes, he did, and uh, you know we always appreciate kind words, and uh, especially from our regular listeners. And uh, if you want to give us some some of uh, your own kind words, you can always email us at pwcomicsworld at gmail dot com. So you know pwcomicsworld on Tumblr, on Publishers Weekly, on Twitter, and at Gmail. That is the way to keep up with the latest on there our doings. Go. But anyway, Dan, thank you very much you for the kind words. You bet. We appreciate it's, it. It's really good to hear. Okay. And it's great to hear that we have listeners overseas, too. That's right. All right. This week on More to Come, uh, Kate just gets back from Japan. Yeah. Uh, uh, we're going to preview uh, Mocha, the Mocha Arts Fest, which comes up this weekend. DC Comics and WonderCon, they're heading to L.A. <laughs> Con... Solidation, um, Kickstarter's new feature, Spotlight, and we've got some data from Scribd on its comics readers. So, uh, let's get right to it. Um, Japan Eye. <laughs> yeah. Now, Kate, what were you, we're going to just quiz you with questions, and you could answer yes. all, okay. all of us, but, so let's just start out, now why were you going to Japan? Well, I was going to Japan because the exchange rate in Japan is the best it's ever been for Americans in my lifetime. And um, my parents, who have long been a fan of Japanese art and arch- fans of Japanese art and architecture, uh, decided that this was the chance if ever they were going to go. And they offered to take me along if I wanted to go. And I said, if I wanted to <laughs> <Yep>. go. And uh, answer is, of course, yes. And so I went. Heck yeah! So now, how long were you there? I was and there where for were you? What cities? Mm-hmm. And I was in Tokyo most of the time, and Kyoto right at the end. And uh, we were lucky enough to hit just as the cherry blossoms hit uh, oh, Tokyo, which, which, I mean, you sort of know, like, it's a six-week span of time in which it might fall, but you never really know exactly when, so we got lucky. So, uh, Kate, I'm sure that you did, uh, you know, the usual vacation things, but were there any special geeky icons? Well, that American you... otaku. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, um, actually, I found... Uh, Erica Friedman's guide on Akazu for um, buying manga and buying Jujinshi in Japan. Incredibly useful. Cool. Because I speak no Japanese. Absolutely none. I'm sure there are some fans out there who can read Hiragana. Some of them claim it's really easy. I am not one of them. So, um, and what nobody tells you about Japan is there are hardly any street signs. I mean, almost none. And not even all the streets have names. And none of the buildings are numbered in any way that makes sense. I have heard that, too. That uh, there are no 
No yeah. signs. <laughs> no, no, no. So um, there was a certain amount of wandering around in the rain done in the name of finding Jujinshi. But Jujinshi, that is to say fan comics, which is to say the comic version of what we would call fan fiction in the United States, there are stores devoted to it. I mean, whole stores that are just nothing but Jujinshi. And so a certain amount of going in and like writing down what I wanted Jujinshi for and like pointing at the word was now, Not to interrupt you, but just for our fans who may not be familiar, we going to tell them exactly what Jujinshi is? Okay, I, I, I thought I had quickly enough, but I'll, oh, I'll did go I, back Maybe I did and I missed it, sorry. I'll, I'll go a little slower. Okay. I, so I apologize. Do, no, no problem. I'll just edit all this out. Okay, so uh, Jujinshi are fan comics, and they're kind of like the comic version of fan fiction only in Japan. Um, this is really huge. Comic Cat is almost nothing but Jujinshi. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, the publishers don't seem to frown on it the way they might hear. Now, are these books self-published? Uh, well, yes and no. They can, they're frequently self-published, but sometimes, like, a Jujinshi circle will get some other Jujinshi people to publish them. Right, so it be that. kind of like a co-op in a way, I It can, it, yeah, it can be self-published, it can be co-op, it, it can be, you know, people getting together in a group or circle, but it's not like it's being brought out by a publisher. Right, it's right. It's all fan But published. they, I'm, uh, you know, being, going back as I do to the dawn of the fanzine, you know, whenever anybody says that, I, I, I get a vision of these stapled things in my mind, but I'm There sure. are some that are stapled. Yeah. There are some that look like they're professionally printed. There's like a whole gamut of, mm-hmm. of printing qualities and art qualities. Um, and I did run into a little problem that in a Jujinshi store, all of them are sold in completely sealed bags. Really? So you can see through to the cover, but you have to guess the inside. Hmm. And um, this presented some complications. Like, for example, um, basically all the Utna ones uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to get rid of because they weren't at all as innocent or happy as they looked on the cover. <laughs> Tuga, what are you doing there? Go away. <laughs> no one wants to see you with your clothes off. Just stop. So these were, so so just to, to you know, these might be what we would think of as, uh, you know, saucier. Not all of them. But some, very, but some. But, some, but you see things from the cover you can't tell. Right, right, right. Um, they do seem to run the gamut. They really I mean, run the gamut. But, they run everything but little I know about it. From, from, from just like completely like could have been an issue kind of things to um, like some sort of alternate universe where they're riding horses <laughs> to you know uh, to things explicit, to explicit, explicit sex, to yeah. explicit sex. <laughs> like, like just a whole wide yeah. array of things and it's not just for manga and anime although of course those dominate the field there is actually a surprisingly large number of Dujinshi for get this Person of interest. <laughs> you know, now that you've said that, <laughs> I get it. I definitely get yeah. it. Why, why do you get it? Because um, that show is like Batman. Yeah, and, it is kind of. And the leads are uh, very 
I don't know. The characters are really good. I really like. I I, 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 I love the show. It's yeah. just I wouldn't have thought yeah. it would appeal to the well, Jujinshi demographic, but it does. Yeah, I I I think there's a there's just a certain element to that show that definitely has this kind of uh, you know Inspector Conan or Detective Conan aspect. Yeah, and I think yeah, it, it doesn't hurt that the leads look very different uh, visually, so it's very easy for right. the artists, whatever their art quality, to make it clear which is the short one with the large nose and the glasses and right. the funny hair. Right, right, right. You know. Yeah, you know, I, just, I have to admit that I don't, don't watch the show. I just was go. at, you know, our fellow podcaster, Jimmy Aquino, he had a six-month episode and had Michael Emerson from First wow. on because they are old college buddies. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, if you're interested in person of interest... Uh, I recommend going and listening to that podcast. Very charming interview with Michael Emerson. But anyway. Oh, yes. Yeah. So anyway, so there was a lot of Jujinshi bought, and because of the sealed bags, um, some of them turned out to have nothing but text inside. Uh, and they weren't comics at all. They were just zines. But they're all sort of shelved together in the same stores. And so I had to sell those back because I don't know anyone so, who reads Japanese. So what... Um... What was the price range of these? I mean, are they uh, cheap or are well, they expensive? Well, they're used. I bought them oh. used. They range between $2, which I, for most of them, actually, like, for the exchange rate, more like uh, $1.80 because yeah. it's um, the yen to dollar conversion. There are 200 yen. Um, and then some of them were more in, like, the $4 range. And then, like, one of them that was really, really good was, like, 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. And was that a full-size one? Or it's, these it's full, some of them are, um, their sizes in Japan are a little different. Some of them are about the size of a typical Japanese manga that you buy here, mm-hmm. Tankabon size. And some of them are, quote-unquote, full-size, which are approximately, not exactly... Like eight and a half by eleven. Right. Interesting. Wow. Um. And so you know, I got some for myself. I got some for my friends. I was astonished the things they had them for. They, there was even a Watchmen one. Yeah. <laughs> now just to just to kind of jump in here, or or to kind of clarify this whole Dojinchi situation because it really is, uh, you know, kind of it's mind. Huge. It's it, yeah, it's mind-boggling to us how huge it is there, but. And and as I understand it, which might be imperfectly, but but uh, as I understand it, there's two reasons for its popularity. One of them is, as you say, you know, popular genres, comics, you know, TV shows, whatever, like, you know, just more material. But it's also like the creators, you know, have, some of them have very big followings. And yeah. a lot of Jojinshi, you know, a lot of the greatest ma- manga creators started out with yeah. Jojinshi. Yeah. And, like and, Clamp, for instance, yeah. they started out with yeah. Jojinshi. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and, and also... There's the little-known phenomenon of writers writing Dushinshi for their own comics. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Because I, I assume because it builds fans. I, I think because it builds fans, I think it's sort of like an extra little bonus for fans. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. it's a way of getting in things that they couldn't get in with their publisher or sure. having mm-hmm. like non-canonical episodes so they could play with their characters, but it doesn't really affect how their series yeah. is going to turn yeah. out. Yeah. Um, the creator of Maiden Rose is famous for doing this. There must be some sort of street cred. Uh, yeah, value like, to like, it as like well. you know, like I haven't given uh, up yeah. on Dujinshi or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's very well, interesting. I was talking to you, you know, a little bit about Genjikin, the uh, the manga yeah. series, and I mean, Genjikin is very much about creating Dujinshi's yeah. to sell a comic hat. and so pretty much most of what I know about it actually comes from reading the manga series. Well, what, what you know about it is in fact. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I was just like, these were good sized stores. 
And um, they were much harder to find than they said. They were like, oh, it's right by the train station. But they didn't mention she had to go through like two blocks of neon lights and pachinko parlors to find it. <laughs> Fun times. <laughs> yeah. um, but I did. Um, and so it was just really interesting. And also, even like they've got these anime and manga stores that are huge. Yeah. They're like literally six stories of nothing but but you know like manga anime (laughs) uh, related merchandise everything now were they crowded or crowded crowded (laughs) very crowded I mean so so many fans (laughs) and I would say that the um, that animate which is the biggest chain that I had seen in in Tokyo of assorted geek stuff that seemed to be fairly gender balanced, but the Dujinshi stores were like ninety percent female. Uh-huh. Hmm. Interesting. Much like fan fiction, exactly. actually. Uh-huh. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I, I don't know if that's just the people who go to use Dujinshi stores or if that's Dujinshi as a whole. Right. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. Um, now, were there any other, um, you know, Americans that you ran into at any of these places, or you know, touristy types, or? Um. See, uh, I think. Let's see. In I went to the uh, Mandarin, which is the used Dijinshi store in Shibuya, and when I was in Shibuya, I did run into like one other American, um, but it was pretty rare. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, but it was funny the places that I saw manga and manga influences cropping up that I wouldn't have expected it, like. When I was walking down the street in Shibuya, there was this huge display for Sailor Moon mascara with a giant <laughs> Sailor Moon standee and like a little pedestal with the mascara on it, and then like a little like sign demonstrating how it has this like attachment you can put on to make your your uh, Sailor Moon mascara a Sailor Moon light up wand. Nice. I want some. Great. It's reversible. And um, and then also, of all things, like Rose of Versailles, which, like, I've always been interested in that comic and sad it didn't come out in the United States. I mean, I saw the the anime. It's pretty good, but I really wanted the manga. There's an old English version of it, you know, that came out. The whole thing? No, not the whole thing. I think it was just, like, the first chapter or something. Yeah, it's the first couple chapters, but... Um, So... Rose of Versailles is this groundbreaking shoujo manga from the 70s about uh, Lady Oscar, this um, French aristocrat who is uh, taught to sword fight by her father and ends up a guard to Marie Antoinette and and stuff. It was huge. I won't go into more detail than that. But I had already come into Japan interested in looking for this. I didn't realize how big of a thing it would be in Japan even now. Really? Like, I was walking through... A perfectly normal department store looking for actually soap and I saw this display of like four different varieties of Rosa Versailles eyeliner and to clarify <laughs> no other manga had eyeliner it was just Rosa Versailles um, and I was their market <laughs> yeah I took a picture of it and put it on on tumblr and thought huh that was weird and moved on with my life but then when I went to see Takarazuka which, I'm going to give you a little background here, Takarazuka is a 101-year-old theater company in Japan where all the roles are played by women and they typically put on musicals 
some of which are imported from like United States or Europe, but most of which they created themselves. And they have a very tight relationship with shoujo manga in that um, they're sort of stylized and beautiful and gender-bending approach uh, has influenced a lot of early shoujo manga, you know, even starting as early as Princess Knight. But then a lot of their most popular musicals have been based on shoujo manga. So it's like a really tight relationship. Yeah. And they're, they're one of their biggest musicals of all time, or rather two musicals, since they split it into two, is based on Rosa Versailles, which they put on a production of almost every other year. So, you know, when I was there, because I wanted to see a musical, I was in their gift shop, and they had, not only did they have the Rosa Versailles manga, which I snapped up in Bunky Bon, um, but they have Rosa Versailles, like, cookie boxes, <laughs> and he wine. Came to the right place. Rose of Versailles <laughs> brand wine. There you go. <laughs> which also is on our Tumblr, which is available for the low, low price of approximately $9. I decided I did not want to chance $9 Rose of Versailles of wine. Deal. Rose of Versailles. Put it boom. She'll be here all week, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yes. Um, also, there were certain things that I saw that I, you know, I kind of thought were exaggerations of manga or fan culture. Like, Cherry blossom's actually really a huge thing in Japan, not just an American cliche about them. Like, I was in Tokyo, and, like, I would say every third tree was a cherry tree, and they were all in bloom, and people were, like, like everybody was converging on the parks to sit under them because it was a huge thing. Just really excited to hear that flowers are blooming. I've heard of places in the world where that Yeah, happens. I know. My parents so. were like, hey, when you get back to the United States, I bet the flowers will be blooming here, too. Yeah. Ha, ha, ha. No, no, that that didn't happen. Um, and also, I went to uh, Tokyo Disney Sea, which is they have Tokyo Disneyland, which is just Disneyland in Tokyo, but they have Tokyo Disney Sea, which is like their very own homebrewed Disney park, mm-hmm. which is like ocean oriented, and has like a a Jules Verne section, which I was very excited about. And there are 20,000 leagues under the sea and things. Um, and so it was interesting that I would have thought that they were very, would be very interested in the Disney characters as such. But instead, they were more interested in Duffy, their own sort of home-brewed, off-brand um, Disney character, who is just for Tokyo Disney. What is it? What is Duffy? Yeah. Duffy <laughs> looks like a giant teddy bear. Uh, he never had any cartoon or comic uh, book. Um, is he kawaii? He he really just looks like a giant teddy bear. He he, he could actually be cuter. Um, he's got like these soulless button eyes. It's very disturbing. But uh, Japan is wild for Duffy. And I mean, really, Duffy like, beer. They they had they had Duffy everything. And um, <laughs> and even to the point where they had, like, a special musical you could go to in which Minnie and Mickey tell you about why Duffy's wonderful and you should love him. Well, you know, there's a lesson to be learned here from Disney. And it's like, you know, like, localization yeah. is really the yeah. way yeah. to go. Yeah, really? and, you know, really Don't is. be afraid to localize. Yeah, and when they tried to export Duffy to the rest of the world, nobody else liked didn't him. Work. <laughs> it didn't work. It didn't work. No, he just, he's just a, a Japan thing. And <laughs> to not be afraid to do... 
your own, like, a Japanese version, like, really worked. Right, right, right. right. You know, I mean, it's like... It's uh, stuffy and caramel corn. Yeah. No, we should. Yeah. So, um, yeah, was that, did you do go to any other... No, um, no that was... The, the, I mean, any I, interesting vending machines? No, they were very, no, that's a, that's a, no, no. Is they that were an American stereotype? No, they yeah. were very interesting Spanish vending machines, actually. Oh, yeah. Selling, like, all kinds of bizarre toys for whatever's big in anime at the moment. Um, but that was about it, really. I. Well, you uh, know, uh, it sounds like you had a great time. Sounds very fabulous, jealous. Kate. No plans for my own journey to Japan. But, you know, our, our, our own Matt White, who also is a contributor, he's going to Japan oh, in a couple of weeks, isn't he? I, you know what? I think you're right. Yeah, I think him and his parents are also going on a, uh, you know, legacy trip. Everybody's so. going but us. We've yeah, got to well, get this you know, together here. Yeah, you know, let's talk to our parents. Yeah, yes, I'll go know? talk to my parents. Yeah, yeah, Mom, yeah, I want to go to Japan. Yeah, right? <laughs> Exchange rate, man. I know. Well, I mean, it's, it, it has gone from... Uh, what? Eighty yen to the dollar to one hundred and twenty yen to the dollar. Holy so crap! So yeah, it's yeah. now's the time, man. Now's the time to go. Uh, now's the time All to right. buy your Japanese imports. Yeah, let's All do right. that. Well, right. some Kit Kat for high. Well, a great trip. Yeah, uh, great we're report. jealous. Yeah, um, there we go. Uh, okay, we're gonna we're gonna segue from that into um, actual Mocha, news. The Mocha Arts Festival. No, that was news too. But no, this is lo- more local news. Mocha, yes. Mocha Arts Festival, the Museum of Comic and Cartoon Art. Uh, annual Festival of Independent Comics uh, opens this um, this Saturday, April uh, 11th. Although, actually, it's being um, sort of previewed there's by comics and cartoon Comic and Cartoon Art Week. Started uh, Monday, speak, you know, oh, but, but there's on. events every night this week leading into it. Um, uh, MOCA, of course, is uh, organized each year by the Society of Illustrators, which took over the museum and its collection a couple of years ago and uh, moved it to the Upper East Side. They are holding the Boca for the first year at a brand new venue on the west side, uh, 548 Center on uh, West 22nd Street. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be a multiple floor show, and programming will be held uh, a block or two away, I think, at the, um, the High Line Hotel. At the High Line Hotel. So we're going to be checking out all it this is, new and stuff. And it's right by the High Line, so if you want to go get your comics yeah. and go for a walk at the High Line, you can do that. You can hop on a ferry across the Hudson. Um, so there's you know, much programming. Yeah, I, I, but, you know, I just want to uh, jump in here. I think I said this before on this podcast, but I just want to reiterate it. It's like, if you are, you'll be listening to this on Friday, but if you have a chance, go to the Society of Illustrators. They have three shows on yes. right now. They're absolutely unparalleled. I, I've been to a lot of comic sh- art shows in my life, in museums and everything. I've never seen anything that surpasses this for just the range of art they have. They have a show of uh, alt weeklies on. Yes. Uh, they have a show of the little Nemo Kickstarter book. Uh, Every artist from uh, Bill Sienkiewicz to Gregory Benton. Uh, just a complete contemporary history of comics right there. And then the Craig Yo has originals by Kurtzman, Kirby, Eisner, Kniff, you name it. He's got it. It's up. So you can literally see art from... Yes. Pretty much all the greatest cartoonists who yes, ever lived. Yeah, lived right now in this one building. Yes. So just get over there. That's yeah. what the Society of Illustrators is all about. Yeah. Um, but there's but once you've seen the show, there's there's a great programming that's going to be going on and sponsored by Mocha um, on Saturday and Sunday. Saturday alone, there's a um, um, there's a, a show kind of a work in progress panel where a bunch of artists will talk about projects they're working on. Among them, Kim Deitch, Sarah Glidden, Dash Shaw, uh, and um, uh, Julie Wirtz, uh, Scott McCloud, as well as Eileen Kaminsky Crum will be doing public. Uh, interviews, uh, and Rainer Telgemeier Tegel- Te- uh, as well. 
So uh, make plans for that. In fact, Rain is going to be uh, in, in, interviewed by my old friend Lou Ann Toss from School Library Journal. That's right. That's right. So, so give her a look-see. Yeah, but it's only $5 to get in. Yes. You know, Calvin and I were even saying, this is the ultimate people. We were even saying, you know, do we have press badges? We don't know. We're just going to go pay just $5. Go pay the $5. Pay the $5. We don't it's care. It's so cheap to get in. You can claim it on your taxes. Claim on your taxes. Yes, yes. Uh, but, you know, this is... Uh, really, the premier comics event in uh, for indie comics yeah. in New York at Helen Fall, and uh, you know it's, <laughs> yeah. it's it's really awesome. So. Very quickly on Sunday, there's the uh, there's a panel about the All Comics Weekly show. Um, there's a biography panel with Annie Getzinger, um, uh, James Romberger, and Marguerite Van Cook, whose book um, um, uh, The Late Child and Other Stories just came out. Uh, there's a show of art directors talking about hiring cartoonists and using them in various kinds of magazines. There's uh, our Sequoia uh, carousel for kids, so it's fun for the whole family. So anyway, um, but, uh, Mocha this weekend. But on Friday night, we're talking about all those events that are going on. I will be moderating a panel ah. at the Word Bookstore on European Comics with cool. uh, Penelope Baggio, uh, Daryl Cunningham, and also Nadja. Uh, Spiel, uh, Spielman, oh, yes, who is not a European, but her collaborator is, and I, I'm looking for his name, and I don't have it. But anyway, it'll but they be, have a great comic about great, for kids about yes, the New York City subway. New York City subway. Awesome. So, uh, Beautifully you know, drawn. Uh, that is at the Word Bookstore in Greenpoint. Uh, come great on down. bookstore, also. By uh, if you're not doing some of these other events that are going on, uh, there's a big uh, premiere party for a whole bunch of books from Fantagraphics and Koyama Press at Burger Street Comics on Saturday night. Uh, there is so much to do. Right. Is there somewhere all of it is listed, Heidi? Well, yes. Uh, you can go to the Mocha website, Mocha for website. sure. They're, and they have the listings both for the programming and, of course, for Comic and Cartoon Art Week. Yes. Okay. So, right there at... The and org. That- yes. I should say societyillustrators.org. Yes. Wow. Or just Google it. Yeah. Google it or <laughs> right. check out our Twitter feed at PW Comics World. Yes. And, well, you'll find links to all of Yes, that. that's true. Okay, very quickly. D.C., WonderCon, L.A. Well, that's right. Uh, you know, I think bundling them together is a... But anyway, a lot of people are heading west, you know. Uh, just the Horace Greeley's uh, word never go, <laughs> yes. never go stale. Or uh, bust. You know, we just wanted to give a little shout-out because uh, we've been talking about it for two years. And finally, on Friday, they turn out the lights at D.C.'s old New York office. Everybody who's going is already there out in... West Coast, it's a whole new office. They're moving the bat signal. They're moving, yeah. And uh, yeah. well, they did, they definitely moved that. And uh, you know, if you're friends with people who work at DC for weeks, your p- Facebook feeds have been filled with you know pictures of people packing up, and um, you know, it's sad, it's the end of an era, yeah, it really is. It really and is um, yeah, I, but I, they've hired so many new people in the West Coast office. You know, I think we've mentioned some of them, but like, you know, Jamie Rich is back at editing at Vertigo, and Andy Curry has joined them. and Bree Javins will be staying on. Um, a lot of people are moving different uh, positions. You know, Ben Abernathy is back. Um, Rebecca Taylor from Boom. You know, a lot of really fresh faces yeah. there with a really fresh take on comics. So there's a lot more to come there. Yes, I have yeah, a feeling sure. we'll be talking about things going on at DC <laughs> quite a few times over the next yeah. months. And, and okay. on, the, on the other hand, we've got WonderCon. Which seems to be the nomad of uh, right of well, conventions they these days. That uh, WonderCon started out in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. it was discussed in Oakland, and then San Francisco for more than twenty years, and then suddenly the Moscone Center went under uh, construction, and the comics, uh, the um, CCI, 
uh, Comic-Con International, the organization which puts on WonderCon, mm -hmm. and San Diego Con, uh, decided they had to move it. They moved it to Anaheim uh, since 2011, I believe it's been mm -hmm. in Anaheim. Uh, and it seemed to do very well there. But guess what? Now the Anaheim Convention Center is under construction, uh, and there is also no room for it in 2016. So they're moving to Los Angeles in for 2016. Now, you know, first off, you know, what is a con? You know, BEA moves all the time. I well, mean, it used you know, to move all the time. Yeah, but, I mean, it's, it's, it's going back. Well, it's going to go back to yeah, Chicago. I mean, in theory, I don't it's think it's going to move around a whole lot. Right. But we'll but, see. But, it, but, but let me That's different, this though. But if BEA moves to, to, you know, these national conferences move around all the time. So, you know, the World idea... World Con's of, a different place every year. Yes, exactly. So, I mean, the idea of a, of a movable feast of that kind isn't totally out of well, it's question. It's unusual for her. Like a local comic show. It is unusual. Now I should say it's in the same relative. Well, you know, as the, as the car drives. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, there's a lot of conspiracy theories here because when <laughs> what in comics? Well, <laughs> in Comic Con, the Con Wars, yes. as we like to talk about. You know, when WonderCon moved to Anaheim was the last time that their contract was up with the city of San Diego, and some saw it as a shot across the bows, perhaps suggesting that uh, CCI folks were willing to move their operations if they had to. And guess what? They signed a new contract with the city of San Diego, despite the conventions that are not being big enough. But the, uh, um, the agreement was contingent on an expansion of the convention center, which is yet to even be proven legal. So yeah. once again, the contract is up. This is the, I think this is the last year. Uh, and now suddenly WonderCon moves to L.A. Both Anaheim and L.A. have been very ardent suitors very of Comic-Con yes. over the last five or six years. You know, in fact, Anaheim... Oh, stalkers, you yes, can almost uh, say. Yes, in fact, the Anaheim <laughs> Convention Center, I think, even, like, cut their rate to, like, you know, a pittance to yeah. get Comic-Con to go in there. So, you know, are these real factors? Um, now, supposedly, WonderCon has a one-year contract. Has a one-year contract, they, yes. They, they and say. maybe it will go back to San Francisco. Yeah. You know, I think we mentioned here a few years ago that some of the, uh, you know, Ape was held in San Francisco, and that has also moved out to San Jose, and some mm -hmm. of the dispossessed disgruntled San Francisco <laughs> comics fans have put together their own San I mean, Francisco yes. comics fest. Yes. Comic arts fest, a SF-CAF kind of a thing. Yeah. So... You know, look, Moscone Center, Anaheim, Los Angeles, San Diego, none are big enough, none have enough hotels, all are under construction. I, you know what? I mean, the West Coast is a mess, and they have no water. So, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, it's, where will the, where, and even, you know, round and round and round she goes and where it stops. And, it, and, it's like a and we left out the Comics game. LA, which, yeah. we, left, <laughs> we left out Comics LA, which just started in the last year. So right. yet which another. Is a, which is a calf. Which, know, is, which is a calf. smaller, the smaller LA, kind. I, I believe the LA uh, Book Fair is this weekend or next weekend. Uh, that's true, it's coming up. It's yeah, coming up. Yeah. And, um, but anyway, I, there, yeah, more to come. More oh, yeah, so it's definitely more to come. But while we're on the subject of cons and Consolidation. Yes. There's some uh, other uh, news. Uh, oh yeah, Rose, Rose and Versailles, guys. Rose and Versailles. Um, well, yes, it was just announced that Informa, which is a gigantic multinational corporation of media thingers, uh, has uh, purchased MegaCon in Orlando, Florida, which is probably about the you know top ten, top ten yeah. sized hmm. convention of 70,000 people, long-running, well-regarded, much-loved show. Who doesn't want to go to Orlando in March? I mean, come on. I would be there, or April. I would be there if I could. Um, 
And uh, Informa already owns the Fan Expo uh, shows up in Canada. It owns the Dallas Comic Con. I mean, it's been buying up some of these kind of mid-tier shows. I would say MegaCon's the biggest one in the United States they bought, although Fan Expo is a huge show in Toronto. So, uh, you know, and I'd say Informa's kind of comparable to, to Reed. Uh, you know, our, our well, it's interesting, this, this, this interest where, where cons are in play. They, as targets of acquisition, have we seen... Read by uh, Emerald City, City right? I mean, and, they, and many others. Right. Frankly. Well, they've packed it with so many other cons. Uh, they have yeah. Paris Comic Con. Um, they have a show in China now, yeah. Shanghai. Yeah. Uh, you know, India. India I mean, I mean, so, I mean Reed's really gone international. I, I've never thought of conventions ago. Certainly, pop culture conventions as sort of part of the mergers and acquisitions. Mm-hmm. But we are in a whole new era now of yeah. growth and and money. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but also, I mean, April, the March-April period now is just insane. I mean, we literally had back-to-back uh, the first weekend. I don't see what weekend is it. Okay, so Emerald City was two weeks ago. Last weekend was WonderCon. This weekend is MegaCon. I think there's a week off, and then there's uh, C2E2 in Chicago. Meanwhile, we also had the Bangalore Comic Con. Uh, <laughs> this weekend is the Dubai Middle East Comic Con, huh? and uh, you know, like again, you know, my Facebook feed is full of these wonderful people. It's like, oh look, I'm at the top of the world. You know, <laughs> yes, from yes, Dubai. I'm at the Antarctic Con. Yeah, you know, let's let's, let's go. Um, it's a, you know, it's a whole new world. It is, it is. But I mean, the schedule's so packed, so jammed, and um, yeah. Yeah, this is crazy. I mean, in a related topic, it was interesting on the beat there when you had a, a, a story about um, uh, Comic Cons and volunteer labors and a perhaps a collision with the uh, minimum wage law and the recent legal decisions about how. Now, most of these cons actually do use, you know, hordes of volunteers. Right. Um, right. Unpaid and, labor. Unpaid labor. Um, and although there, and, and while there does seem to be some legal loopholes for seasonal events, right. uh, uh, as I recall, the um, the story on the beat was that you know, committees should be taking a real good look at how they handle volunteers. Now, to, to mention something, um, Reed Pop actually does pay their volunteers. Yes, the, yes, although they call them volunteers. Well, they right. say Interesting. that. that that they're not mere employees, that they mm-hmm. do want people who are fans who are there for the love of the show, but that in order to be fair to them, they will pay them. It's, I think this I think it's tremendous. But I, I, I kind of agree. I think that, you know, having volunteers help out with shows mm-hmm. is, I mean, I don't want to say just because it's a time-tested tradition, it's really good, but I think, Kate, just, you hear about something. I mean, you know, yeah. like, uh, there was an article on The Beat written by Jeff Trexler, who is a actual lawyer who deals a lot with this kind of thing, and he was pointing out that there is a seasonal, uh, there is a, a seasonal loophole. Like if it's a seasonal event, that getting volunteers to help with it is more legally, uh, you know, it's not on as shaky ground mm-hmm. as some of these other intern slash volunteer situations. And also that you know, if you're a volunteer in exchange for uh, admittance to the event. Uh, I know for some of us that might not seem like a payment, but that actually does count that as, as, as a remuneration. As some remuneration, kind. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, so. I mean, to be fully disclosing here, we at Publishers Weekly, a fully for-profit operation, do uh, have volunteers work our booth during conventions. That's right, mm-hmm. and yeah. they get a pass. They get a yeah. pass. Yeah. Um, and although I will say that probably the hours work out closer to. Uh, minimum wage or above minimum wage because they work far fewer hours for their right. uh, yeah. pass. 
Um, didn't say you do. <laughs> well, didn't say the average con. Yeah, volunteer. the average con, and, I'm sure. And to muddy the waters, <laughs> the original cons, and still a lot of cons, are, are non-profit operations, but it, the, you know, fan cons yeah, sure. exist. Mm-hmm. It's just that but fewer and fewer. Fewer yeah. and fewer. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah. most cons these days are indeed for profit. Yeah. 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 You know, but I, I, you know, San Diego is a non-profit. Yes. Uh, they have the best volunteers. I mean, their volunteers are like, you know... Con ninjas. They're, they're con ninjas. I mean, they're more like uh, the National Guard, really, you know. <laughs> it's like they are volunteers who really know how to get shit done. Oh, pardon me. Get stuff done. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, you know, it's an interesting question. And, and people do definitely need to. The whole situation is very, needs to be looked at very, very closely. So Yeah, someone compared it to the Oprah tour situation. That um, Oprah Winfrey <laughs> had a Your Best Life tour where, you know, tickets cost $100, but she was trying to get local entertainers to work for the festival for free. And the argument was, you're Oprah, I don't work for you for free, because you can afford it. And, you know, I think it's the same, people might well feel the same way about big shows for big corporations that clearly making a lot of money on yeah. conventions. Yeah. Well, yeah, I do. I mean, I also... But I, well, I, I think mean, Oprah's a different situation. Yeah, I think that <laughs> is as well. I mean, I think when you're asking professionals to come yeah. in and, you know, like Amanda Palmer had the same thing of asking yeah. musicians to come in. I mean, you know, oh, we're right, not yes. talking about people who yeah. professionally go out and put on wristbands here. You know, that's no. not yeah. what they do for that's a living. true. Yeah. But, I mean, I do think that there is a, a difference between a not-for-profit convention <laughs> taking volunteers and a for-profit convention taking volunteers. One is on slightly shakier ground than the other. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Um, uh, well, this is an interesting uh, topic. A, a Kickstarter, <clears throat> which, of course, in many ways has kind of uh, really revolutionized both general publishing and comics publishing mm-hmm. by the ability to crowdfund, uh, launched a brand new feature a couple of weeks ago called Spotlight. It's really, uh, it's really an addition to what they already do. Um, you know, I talked with a bunch of people over there. Uh, one of the things uh, is that you know the 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 campaign page that everyone's familiar with that lists the goals and the, and the rewards and and the the mission of the of the uh, of the campaign to raise money. You know, they they become kind of dead pages. Yeah. So they basically launched. Uh, something that they're calling Kickstarter Spotlight, and it's really a way. It's it's sort of a presentation feature that allows you to, uh, uh, to 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 show off your project. And it has it's a very flexible, really simply designed, uh, flexibly arranged page that will come up in in Google searches. And you can while uh, Kickstarter is not a retail platform, it allows you to link to all kinds of places. Yeah. You can link to stores. You can link to your own websites. And it gives a timeline of events around the project as yeah. well. You can you can show that your Kickstarter, what you did with your Kickstarter campaign, and you are allowed to link your big old buy button right in the middle. Yes, exactly. Which gets over the problem, which I have frequently faced with Kickstarter, where you hear about it, you say, oh, that's awesome, I want it, yes, how do I get it now? Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that has to gnaw at creators from the other side, so I think this is a logical next step. Uh-huh. Some people may feel that it's a step into the retail space, although I think Kickstarter would argue that they're just 
forwarding you to the retail space. Yeah, and I mean, oh, yeah. I don't think, you know, I think one of the reasons they gave for this was, I think Calvin alluded to it, but, you know, a lot of times if you Google for something, the first thing that comes up is a Kickstarter campaign, and now... When you go to the, you know, when you click on that link, it'll take you everything else. Right. It'll yeah. you'll get a fully formed, beautiful. I mean, really, it's really nice that you saw storefronty yeah. kind of thing. So. And, and it links to the old campaign, yeah. the campaign page. All that's all still there and still on Kickstarter. But this is just a better way to kind of like lure people into your world and send them to any place well, you want them to go. Listen, it's getting a lot. It's getting very competitive with uh, with all these. Yeah. Our friendly platforms. You know, Kickstarter is still number one, but, uh, you know. Indiegogo is nipping at their heels. Yes, and, you know, Patreon has a whole different model. Yes, yes, there's whole other Patreons coming along. There's some talk that maybe the uh, subscription model might arise at some other. Um, so, anyway, there's a lot, very there's a lot, lot, lot of developing, but, uh, you know, that's a big, it's very, comp- very competitive. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, in February this month, uh, Scrib launched, uh, the, which is a, uh, a ebook subscription service. Mm-hmm. Uh, eight ninety eight ninety nine a month gives you access to millions of books. Well, they added ten thousand comics and graphic novels in February, That's and a lot. it's a lot. And now, you know, a couple of months later, they've got a little bit of you of data on, on uh, of of how people are using this, these comics, and it's very interesting. And so, uh, me and Heidi, uh, we uh, we did a phone conference with uh, Jared uh, was it Jared Friedman uh, and some of the people from Script, just talking about the data and just very quickly go over some of this stuff. Um, I mean, when they launched um, the comics category, it was apparently one of the biggest social media you know, riots uh, of all of the categories that they launched. Something like 570 million across a wide variety of social media uh, came in contact with this information. Um, And some of the data that they got out of this, well, one of them, apparently one guy um, spent 131 hours um, reading more than 200 comics, uh, including the entire Witchblade series. So there you go. Um, Obsessive comics fans, are flocking apparently to Well, you know, to a couple hours a night, it adds up quick. There you go. But I'll just briefly go over some of the data that they gave back to us. And now, okay, according to them, 75% of all comics readers um, you know, also read other kinds of ebooks. Now, that doesn't, yeah, it's surprising yeah. to anybody, to anyone in this room. But, you know, the, the normal world somehow thinks people who read comics don't read anything else. Clearly which is, aren't capable of reading the normal which is print words. completely bizarre. Most comics yeah. people I know are not just literate, they're hyper-literate. Huge. Um, among the genres uh, uh, um, uh, that they also read, of course, once again, not surprising to anyone in this room, sci-fi, humor, fantasy, kids, and then and literature was at the bottom, but, you know, once again, this is a preliminary, after only about three or four months. Yeah. Uh, the most popular... It was actually only about a month. Was it only a month? So, yeah, but we're going to go back to in January. So, so we're going to go back and uh, you know over time and get a little more detail on this stuff. But it was an interesting peek at the at the data. Yeah. Uh, the most popular comics genres, not surprisingly, uh, superheroes were still at the top. So, uh, sci-fi, fantasy, horror, YA, uh, general fiction, and so on. Um, they there was global attention. Um, uh, they had subscribers from over 157 countries. Uh, including uh, Rwanda, the Vatican, uh, Botswana, and, and Malta. Uh, uh, and as far as data on gender, uh, the superhero genre still sort of skews male, according to their usage. Um, but uh, comics with a female lead uh, were 1.5 times more likely to attract women to readers. No surprise there. 
Uh, women tend to like humor and YA, even over com- even over uh, comic books with female leads in them, female superhero comics rather. And manga is indeed the queen of categories, uh, comics categories for most women. Um, and that's just a taste of the data. We're going to go back to script uh, over time mm-hmm. to see if we can, and back. see if we can get a little bit more information from. It. Okay. All right, and. News briefs. And now it is time for the news briefs. Now, this has been a nomination-heavy couple of weeks. Um, Not only have the Hugo Award finalists been announced, but so have the Glyph Awards and the Rubin Awards. For graphic novels, the Hugo Awards, uh, Ms. Marvel. Yep. uh, Rat Queens. Mm -hmm. The Saga series, no surprise there. Yep. Sex Criminals and Zombie Nation. And um, also, the um, finalists for long-form dramatic presentation, that is to say, movies, uh, comic and manga adaptations have led uh, Captain America, Winter Soldier, Edge of Tomorrow, which is based on the manga All You Need Is Kill, Guardians of the Galaxy, and the Lego movie, which, despite the title, actually starred Batman, among other characters. <laughs> it did indeed. Um leading only one non-comic-related property in that category, uh, Interstellar. All right. Um, <clears throat> shall I go down to Glyph Awards? I'm not going to yeah. go through all of the Glyph Awards. Yeah. Um, but you can... Get the highlights. Yes. But uh, there is a big story on the, on the beat about them. And let's see, we'll go with the story of the year. <clears throat> the nominees included uh, Bath Reeves' Tales of the Talented Tenth uh, by Joel Christian Gill, the writer and artist. Uh, Maddie, Maddie's Rocket by Tim Fielder. Um, Shaft by David Walker, uh, who's the writer, and the artist is Bilky Everly. Uh, I apologize in advance for uh, mangling the name. Uh, also nominated Strange Fruit, Uncelebrated Narratives from Black History, also by Joel Christian Gill, who is the writer and the artist. And I'm seeing other more maybe appropriate. Um, you know, I'm not going to go through the entire list, but the you know the glyphs are awarded to uh, uh, the books with the um, uh, with the best African American characters, uh, yeah. and, uh, and they're awarded annual- annually. And the uh, the winners will be announced in May at the uh, East Coast Black Black <laughs> Epoch. I'm embarrassed. I can't remember East the whole Coast name. Black, Black Comic I'm, Creators it, Convention, isn't it? Isn't no, it? that's not it. It's a, no, it's the East Coast Black Age of Comics Convention, and it's held in Philly every year. Could stand for a lot of things. Yes, yes, okay. yes, yes. And for the Rubin Awards, um, there are a lot of nominations, but in the category of comic books, the nominations go to Jason Latour for Southern Bastards, Babs Tar for Batgirl, J.H. Williams III for Sandman Overture and for Graphic Novel, to Jules Pfeiffer for Kill My Mother, Mike Mayak for Cleopatra in Space, and Jillian Tamaki for This One Summer. Okay, so we look forward to that. The United Nations is sponsoring a gender equality comics and cartoon competition. If you are between the ages of 18 and 28, Sorry, guys, I don't know why that's the cutoff. You are welcome to enter into their comics and cartoon competition. All you need to do is create a comic or a cartoon that in some way is about gender equality and, you know, figure out which section 
of the uh, Beijing Accords it relates to, and submit, and you are in the running for a thousand euro prize. And, you know, all the UN publicity you could possibly ask for. Yeah, that's, uh, even the UN likes comics. Even the UN <laughs> likes comics. There you go. And one, one more thing. Um, Days of Futures Past is much like the movie itself, or the movie's characters, um, returning from the past to alter its own future. Uh, basically, they had removed Rogue and most of her plotline from the movie, but if you buy this new special cut for <laughs> the price of a new DVD, you can get an entire 11-minute subplot starring Rogue. That's uh, Anna Paquin as Rogue? Anna Paquin as Rogue. Yes. In case you just wondered what she was doing during this movie and wondered what they had cut. Maybe um, they'll someday put out a version that has Halle Berry in it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who would buy that one? <laughs> um, and that's it. All right. Well, I week. guess we're all going to go run off and watch Daredevil on Netflix tonight. Yeah, so we know what we'll sure. be doing binge watching. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I want to see it. Yep. And, and about that, we'll definitely we have, have more to come.